0: Blog Talk Radio. Friday everybody welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour I am your host Michael Cutler it is April the 7th 2017 and once again uh, we find ourselves at the end of yet another week uh, and yet again playing the game of catch-up I thank you so much for joining me hope all is well in your world and uh, as I always like to say it's great to get together with you at the end of the week pardon me Those of you familiar with me know that I'm a retired senior special agent of the former INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, Um, and ever since the attacks of 9-11, I have been absolutely adamant, absolutely determined to provide the information about the real nature of immigration, border security, those factors that figure prominently into national security and protecting America and Americans. And I think it's really important that we start out by understanding that our immigration laws are not about bigotry or racism, that people who simply want our borders to be secured against illegal entry, want our immigration laws enforced to prevent uh, illegal aliens, aliens who would come into this country in violation of law, uh, face consequences, not only to remove them from our midst, but to serve as a deterrent against others who might come to America with less than honorable intentions. And for the uh, those who like to say, well, this is an anti-immigrant position, let's clear that up. This is a pro-enforcement position. And if you're pro-enforcement, you're pro-immigrant. America admits legally more lawful immigrants than the rest of the world combined, nearly a full million this past year. In most years, it's over a million Certainly, we have a generous immigration policy. We naturalize, pardon me, generally more than a half million new United States citizens every year. So how calling for enforcing immigration laws is to be demonized as being about being opposed to immigrants leaves me shaking my head. Should infuriate you as much as it infuriates me. And we need to speak about the truth. And that's what my show does because the mainstream media won't have this conversation. In point of fact, if you watch the news, and this is something that I really want you to focus on, because if you doubt what I'm saying, consider that if you turn on the mainstream news programs, if they do a show about the military, they will bring in former generals and Navy SEALs and colonels, uh, various members of the armed forces. When they do a story about, a law enforcement case, a a rape, a kidnapping, a murder, they will bring in either retired homicide detectives, former FBI profilers, former ATF agents, if the focus is firearms. When the story is about the space program, there's no shortage of former astronauts who come on, and I love watching them. But if you talk about immigration, suddenly we don't see former immigration agents. What we do tend to see are pollsters, pundits, political consultants, I'd love to know what their experience base is, and the occasional so-called border sheriff, which again feeds the mistaken notion that immigration is about Mexico and Mexicans and the Mexican border and Latinos and all that other nonsense. Nearly half of all illegal aliens in the country, in point of fact, uh, aren't from Latin America, didn't run the Mexican border, but came through ports of entry legally and then went on to violate their terms of admission. But they do that, and they also bring in folks from various think tanks and advocacy groups, if I can get the words out. Now, look, there's a value to doing an analysis of arrest statistics and all that sort of thing. But you should find it remarkable and very telling that when there are murders it's rare that you're going to see anybody come on from a think tank to talk about how many homicides there are. I mean, they may run a story like that on rare occasion. But immigration never seems to be uh, covered these days by the mainstream media, by former immigration enforcement personnel. And there's a reason for it, because the mainstream media is attempting to invoke what I've come to call, and what we used to call in government, the mushroom treatment. Keep the people in the dark, feed them a lot of fertilizer, a lot of manure. You know, what's really missing from the conversation is the true impact of immigration on America. Legal, illegal, fraud, all the components of what goes wrong within the immigration system. Immigration agents aren't just running around chasing after illegal aliens. There's a lot of interdiction being done on the border by the Border Patrol, but when you get to the interior of the United States, it gets a lot more complex. Because now we go from interdiction to looking at the way that some aliens get to be residents of the United States, <clears throat> commit fraud in getting student visas or work visas or get married on paper without living with the spouse. And we know from the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, that immigration fraud and visa fraud are key entry and embedding tactics of the terrorists. And yet, that's almost never discussed in the mainstream media. So the American people have been spoon-fed, or perhaps more properly, force-fed a bunch of nonsense that makes it impossible to have an honest conversation so that the American people come to understand the true nature of our immigration laws and our borders and how essential they are for national security, public safety, and the well-being of our citizens. That, folks, is the mission that I've taken on. That is what I have been doing for the last 15 years, testifying before Congress, testifying before state legislative bodies, Traveling around the United States, participating in speaking engagements, appearing on those television shows uh, most prominently these days, Newsmax, One American News Network, and the Dana Loesch Show, the Dana Show, and also in public appearances. In fact, if anybody out there is aware of opportunities for public forums, public events to have debate, discussion, I'm all for it. You can reach me through my website, michaelcutler.net, but you know, this is about telling the truth this is about empowering americans with the facts that the mainstream media refuses to provide and that's really a measure of why our media has lost credibility in the eyes of the people when donald trump goes around talking about fake news unfortunately all too often he's right my degree was in communications arts and sciences i was going to teach um I was going to teach public speaking, debate, speech uh, classes, and so forth on the college level. Before becoming an agent, I toyed with the idea of becoming a journalist. Democracy depends on an informed electorate. But now that I'm a retired agent, I guess we're going backwards. I'm going back to the future and working to get the journalists out there to tell the truth or call them out on it when they don't. That's the purpose of my program, and there's a couple of websites I'd like you to go visit because I write for these folks, and you can learn a lot more by reading material than just listening to me have a discussion at the end of every week. So I write for FrontPageMag.com, FrontPage Magazine. It's uh, sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. For many years, I have been affiliated, been doing a lot of writing for capsweb.org Californians for population stabilization and don't let the name caps and californians throw you off because the problem that California faces or the problems that California faces are the very same problems that all 50 all 50 of America's states face because of a failure of a, a, a succession of presidential administrations to secure America's borders, enforce America's immigration laws, and truly create an immigration system that has integrity. you know, and we're, and we're still seeing this push. Oh, my gosh, we can't deport the 11 million. It's probably 30 or 40 million. So let's give them legal status. That would be catastrophic for America. <clears throat> the idea of taking people who ran the border, entered the country in violation of law for reasons known only to them, and then take their word for when they got here and who they are and why they're here, and you would have to take their word. There's no way you could verify their information if we had a massive amnesty program. You know, it's one thing if you have a dozen, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand people applying for lawful status. We can deal with that. The the, uh, various divisions within the DHS, especially Citizenship Immigration Services and ICE, they can deal with that kind of number. But if you think about 30 or 40 million applications stacking up on the desks of the adjudications officers, there would be no way to even look at those applications. They would have to run them faster than Lucy tried to wrap candy at the Bonbon bon Factory, those of you old enough to remember that episode of Why I Love Lucy. There would be zero integrity. If you look at the Dreamers, the Obama administration started this catastrophe. Frankly, I'm disappointed that the uh, Trump administration has yet to stop it. There's nothing fair or reasonable. I know everybody gets dewy-eyed when we hear about children. You know, these are kids who came in. It wasn't their fault. Their parents dragged them here, kicking and screaming. And in some cases, that's true. And those parents should be prosecuted, by the way, for endangering those children. But the age cutoff, as established by Mr. Obama, was age 31, all they have to do is claim they came here before they were 16 they have processed i believe it's an excess of 800,000 such applications at citizenship and immigration services with zero interviews and zero field investigations essentially the adjudications officers have no alternative but to look at the papers that were submitted And if the applicant said that he or she came prior to the 16th birthday, they're in. This is an open invitation to fraud. The approval rate has been somewhere in the vicinity of 95%. That's the fraud they could determine. Oh, I'm sorry, the approval rate is 95%. So what is the fraud rate if 95% of these applications are being approved? Normally, immigration applications suffer a high fraud rate. If you look at the GAO reports, if you look at the Inspector General reports, immigration fraud is a huge issue. And again, immigration fraud identified by the 9-11 Commission is a key entry and embedding tactic. With a 95% approval rate, it tells you just how carefully these applications are being scrutinized. And the answer is they aren't. They can't be. The numbers are too damn great. So not only does this incentivize more illegal immigration, but what this also does is create a huge threat to public safety, national security. That's irrefutable. There is no way to disagree with that point, because we know that in order to get here, terrorists have to kill In order to kill us, terrorists have to get here. I'm doing things fast-ackwards today. And therein lies the problem with any massive amnesty program, the idea that you would have to process so many applications that nobody could take a hard look at any of them. You could not. I don't even begin to imagine how they could deal with an onslaught literally overnight of 30 to 40 million applications. It would melt the system. And the argument that we keep hearing, well, we can't deport 11 million and this will get them out of the shadows. So there's a couple of points for you to consider. Number one, the only ones coming out of the shadows are the ones who want to come out of the shadows. Those illegal aliens who know that their biometrics, their fingerprints, maybe DNA, whatever, is on record identifying them as criminals, terrorists, gang members, they're coming out of the shadows. And it would be a rough, rough job to look for them and dig them out. So what we would do is deal with the people who have reasons to believe that their biometrics are clean, that we would have no record. doesn't mean that they're not bad guys. You know, Very often people have criminal histories in other countries, but when we query those systems, we come back with no reliable information, so these people get a pass. Again, we're talking about people who snuck into the country, and why did they sneak into the country? Well, maybe they're just desperate for a job, and they know that because they don't have the money, that the State Department would never issue them a visa because it would be pretty easy to figure out they're probably coming to work illegally. Well, that's not minor. It's about taking jobs that Americans should be doing. It's taking jobs that lawful immigrants should be doing. And then you may wind up, and in fact, it's clear that you would wind up with aliens who have criminal histories and are coming back to the United States to continue their criminal careers, if you want to call it that. Someone just called attention to a a particular case just before I went on the air. I received an email, and I, I checked the person's name out. And here's an article that appears right now. Um, Actually, it it appeared March 29th, but I just got the information about it. And it was updated on April the 2nd. So it's it's quite current. And this is just emblematic of what we're dealing with. Soccer ref accused of groping 15-year-old may be deported. Poughkeepsie Journal. And it starts out saying this. A 26-year-old Milwaukee man accused of groping a 15-year-old girl after he refereed an adult soccer match may not have a trial in Waukesha County after all. The trial for Christian Sanchez that was supposed to start on April 18th has been taken off the court calendar. During a jury status hearing on March 28th, it was disclosed that Sanchez is currently in federal custody at a detention center in Louisiana facing possible deportation, and access to him is denied to the Waukegee County Circuit Court. Well, in reality, um, I would imagine that if immigration authorities knew that they wanted to put him on trial, uh, that they would release him to the custody of the locals unless the locals uh, subscribe to sanctuary policies, which gets us to the heart of what I want to talk about today. Because here the concern is, That if they turn him over to state authorities and they don't notify ICE when they release him again, because there's no guarantee that he's going to be found guilty, first of all, this guy's a prior deportee, according to the report, deported twice previously. Or even if he got a year or two in jail, God knows what they might do, that they would then not notify immigration and turn him loose. That was exactly what we saw with the Kate Steinle case and all too many other such cases. So I don't have all of that information in hand. But if immigration is not turning him over, then I have to really wonder if in point of fact, um, you know, if the concern is that the Waukesha County Circuit Court subscribes to sanctuary policies, because then the concern is that we could lose track of him again. And once again, he could be wandering the streets of the United States. So here was a guy that was deported twice, comes back, and now it's accused that he groped and fondled and, and touched inappropriately a 15 year old girl who was a student in the school where he was refing. Is this in the best interest of America or Americans? And understand the quandary this puts immigration officials in. Because when I was an agent, we were told look, if you find out someone's about to go on trial for a felony, We don't want to deport somebody out from under such a criminal prosecution. Bring them over to the person, lodge a detainer. When they get done with the trial, if they're found guilty and they're convicted, when that's all done, this person will come back into immigration custody for removal. But if you're dealing with sanctuary cities, then there is no guarantee that that detainer would be honored. So this guy could go on trial. He could get a relatively short prison sentence and then be turned loose if the county subscribes to sanctuary policies. I mean, there's a couple of ifs here, and I don't like speculating, but what I want you to do is understand just how much sanctuary cities undermine the criminal justice system and provide the illegal alien with the advantage, not the American citizens. The illegal alien criminals have more opportunities to to flee into the night than do American citizens. What we've really done is lay out the welcome-outs for international criminals, transnational gang members, and we're paying the price across the country. This case is a disgusting case, if in fact he's true. Again, he's indicted, apparently, but not convicted. Maybe it's a false claim. Who knows? Crazy stuff happens. But let's say he really did grope and fondle this young girl. It probably would have had a tremendous impact on her, and not for the better, obviously. And now we have a problem with a guy who's been deported twice and comes back so this is why when Donald Trump says, "Let's secure that border, I don't understand how people could be screaming about it. if he's from Mexico, the most likely method by which he re-entered the United States was to run the border. You know there's other ways of coming here illegally, but what's really remarkable, the very last sentence um According to the complaint, that means the criminal complaint, Sanchez repeatedly asked the victim for her phone number when they met several months ago, and on one occasion showed up at her school with flowers for her. I guess he was referring, was it, um, coaching or roughing soccer nearby, or whatever the story was. But the point is, this guy, who's much older than her is, you know, trying to become romantically involved with a 15-year-old girl, which might be normal in Mexico. I don't know what their age of consent is. Certainly not the age of consent in the United States. Again, cultural differences, different countries, different perspectives. But the last sentence is interesting. It says Sanchez also gave police a fake name when they tried to question him about the incident according to a criminal complaint. And this goes back to this notion of providing driver's licenses, and in the case of the city of New York, municipal ID to illegal aliens. They conceal their names when they know that their true name would create a problem, or when they're trying to cover their tracks. And if you can't verify somebody's name, and if they're quote-unquote undocumented, then the odds are quite good that you can't verify their names. Why would you facilitate an illegal alien being able to provide himself or herself with false identity documents? Again, go back to the 9-11 Commission report. The 19 terrorists who attacked our country on 9-11 in the aggregate used something on the order of 360 names or variations of false names. False names are camouflage. This guy, who apparently was illegally in the country, is illegally in the country, in order to conceal his tracks, cover his tracks, gave the cops a fake name. And there are places in the country, states, cities like New York, that are happy to provide municipal ID and driver's licenses to illegal aliens, even though there's no way to verify who they are. If this isn't insanity, I don't know what is. I was interviewed by Bill Tucker over at Newsmax this past week on uh, or just over a week ago march thirty first, in fact, the day of my last show, but the article had not yet been posted. If you go to the the, the uh, website affiliated with this radio program on Blog Talk, you will see the link. You have a link to the video of my interview uh, with Bill Tucker, and you have a link to the article that I wrote for Caps Web org californians for population stabilization and the thrust of my article for capsweb.org not unlike what i've written for front page magazine and not unlike what will be published within the next couple of weeks by the social contract i'm very excited about the quarterly coming out i have two articles and they are the lead stories for the entire quarter the spring edition i'm very happy about that it's all about fraud it's all about how sanctuary cities and the use of fake names and and immigration fraud all conspired to undermine national security and public safety. And and again, I'm going to reiterate something that I said last week, and I've written about it, and I I made that point again for for CapsWeb.org. When you have politicians saying we've got to go after the human traffickers, I agree with them. We absolutely do. But if you have a sanctuary city that shields illegal aliens from detection by ICE, what they are also doing, whether these people are smart enough, and maybe they're not, but what they're also doing is shielding the human traffickers from detection by ICE. Think about it. How does immigration know? How do immigration agents, ICE agents, HSI, Homeland Security Investigations agents, that's a division of ICE. How in the world are they able to figure out who the alien smugglers are, the human traffickers? They primarily rely on cultivating informants within the illegal alien community who can point the finger and say, that's the guy that brought me and my three brothers here. That's the guy who held us at gunpoint in a safe house. That's the guy who raped my sister when we came across the border. That's how you put an investigation together. You can't do an investigation if you don't have access to the aliens who are smuggled into the United States of America. So sanctuary cities not only enable bad guys to hide in plain sight, but it also shields the smugglers from detection by the agency that is charged with dismantling human trafficking organizations. One of the best friends that human traffickers have are the mayors of sanctuary cities. So these mayors and senators and politicians can scream all they want and jump in front of the cameras and wave their arms around. We're going to get the human traffickers. We're going to protect America. And then they come out as advocates for sanctuary cities, which shield illegal aliens from detection. And this idea that no none of these illegal aliens would come forward if they fall victim to crime is a lie. It's an absolute bald-faced lie. And I'd love to have some politician call into this program or accept an invitation for a debate because there are visas that can be given to victims of crime if they are here illegally, so they can remain in the United States if they cooperate with law enforcement to prosecute the people who attack them, who hurt them, who injure them, who harm their family members. That's not what you're hearing. The narrative that is being created by the mayors of sanctuary cities is that immigration agents are evil, bad people, and all we want to do is rip children out of their warm beds in the middle of the night and separate them from their families. I've never heard anything more disgusting in my life, and that's the allegation that keeps on going. It's the gift that keeps on giving to nobody but the smugglers and the criminals and the politicians who are exploiting all this. They've convinced the illegal aliens that... The only thing that stands between them and being deported uh, from by immigration agents are they themselves. And in point of fact, if these mayors were really concerned about the victims, criminal, the illegal aliens who were victims of criminal aliens, what they should be doing is telling their police departments to work with ICE to bring those victims forward to make certain that ICE registers them, and provides them with lawful status to remain in the United States if they provide evidence, if they provide actionable intelligence. This notion that these victims won't come forward is a lie. And if they're concerned about community policing and people don't trust the the police because the police are talking to immigration, that's a lie. When aliens don't trust the police folks, and I can tell you this from personal experience, having worked with the cops for the 30 years of my career, or at least the 26 years that I was an agent, often aliens tend not to trust police, not because of immigration, but because of their experiences in their home countries, because they know damn well that the cops in their home countries are corrupt. So the last person they want to talk to is anybody with a badge, because they figure if police are corrupt in their home country, it's no different here in the United States. And when you have mayors of sanctuary cities vilifying ICE agents, got to raise questions within the immigrant communities. Well, a badge is a badge. Can I trust anybody with a badge? You know, normally uh, you would think federal agents are trustworthy, but the mayors out there in these sanctuary cities are painting a pretty bleak picture about law enforcement in America. Don't you dare talk to those mean ICE agents. What they should be saying is, come to the police. The police will bring you to ICE, will work cooperatively, and we'll try to get the criminals out of the ethnic immigrant communities because that's where they're living. You know, if you're a Russian mobster, guess where you're living? Within the ethnic Russian immigrant community. If if you're a Jamaican drug dealer, you're living within the Caribbean community, right? And who's being placed at risk? The members of the ethnic immigrant communities. This isn't about black or white or Latino. or. Human nature is human nature, folks. There is no such thing as as any ethnic group, any religion, any race, where you don't have the good, the bad, and the ugly, because human nature is human nature is human nature. Every faction of society, of the human species, has the good, the bad, and the ugly. So this notion that immigration agents are are, are looking for Latinos, this is about the Latino voting, and I've spoken about this so many times, But I find myself compelled to raise these issues because it's infuriating. It should infuriate every American. It is so anti-American. It is such an example of bigotry to talk about the Latino voter and the Latinos who are here illegally. This isn't limited to people from Latin America. I've arrested people from just about everywhere on this planet, from Great Britain, from Canada, from Japan, from Israel, from Pakistan, from China, from Japan. Goodness, you name it, i probably arrested someone from that country. Not just me, but everybody at the old INS, and today everybody at ICE. They just rounded up a bunch of criminals in the Washington, D.C. area, and, and it looked like the League of Nations, people from everywhere. So when we listen to this nonsense about sanctuary cities and protecting the immigrants, and that leads me to another very serious problem that I want you to think about. By eliminating the distinction between aliens who come to the United States legally, abide by the law, seek to live here permanently, get a green card, and someone says to someone like that, where are you from? And the guy says, well, I'm an immigrant, but I, I came here from Canada. I'm an immigrant. I came here from wherever. In the old days, people would have smiled and would have said, wow, that's wonderful. So you've moved to America. You want to become one of us. You want to join us. And people were very happy to hear about that. But now what has happened by taking away the distinction between legal immigration and illegal immigration, the word immigrant has taken on a whole new negative connotation. Immigrant now, because of the open borders anarchists, they're not pro-immigrant except in the news media. The immigration anarchists have created this notion in the vast number of Americans that when someone lays claim to being an immigrant, they're a law violator. Because if you ask most Americans how do immigrants come here, they say they run the border. And why do they say that? Because the news media and the politicians, especially on the left, but you've got some on the right, and, you know, I'm I'm registered as a Democrat, I say left and right, that's how they tend to be identified in the media. But, you know, mostly it's the Democrats doing this, but you do have your share of Republicans that are doing the same nonsense. So when people hear the word immigrant, they associate that with somebody who came to the country in violation of law. And that really upsets the American people. And Alan Greenspan talked about that when he testified for Chuck Schumer. You know, I I have frequently talked about Greenspan with the H-1B visas. But, you know, Alan Greenspan also at that hearing back on April 30th, 2009, addressed the issue of illegal immigration, and he said that that doesn't sit well with the American people. However, you see, however, never mind what the American people want. The undocumented illegal alien workforce is a major factor in the economy. And he even talked about how back then in 2009, supposedly 5% of the civilian labor force was comprised of illegal aliens. That's crazy. You have tens of millions of unemployed Americans and yet, 5% of our labor force are here illegally? How does the country allow that to happen? And then Mr. Greenspan, who has a beautiful mansion, from what I understand, out in the Hamptons, says, well, you know, some people do say that by flooding America with all these foreign workers, we, we generally drive down wages, but it only minimally suppresses the wages of American workers who have no high school education or high school diploma. Really, only minimally suppressants. How many Americans will go to sleep tonight, if they can sleep, fearful that they could become homeless tomorrow, fearful that they're one paycheck away from homelessness, fearful that if they get sick or their children get sick, they won't be able to pay for it, and they know damn well that if they lose a paycheck or they cut their salaries or their bosses cut their salaries... That they would lose their thin, tenuous grip on an apartment that they live in. Understand the terror that that creates in Americans. They're not happy and they didn't do this to themselves. The wages have been driven down because the labor pool has been flooded to overflowing with workers who should not be here when we talk about the bottom rung jobs. And so you have Alan Greenspan, this guy who's worth megabucks and good for him, but then have compassion for people who aren't doing so well you know but that would be too much to ask for so he looks down his nose and he says well this only minimally suppresses those wages of the basically the working poor if you suppress them any more mr greenspan you will drive these people into homelessness if they lose their jobs to more illegal aliens you will drive them into homelessness and think what that does to their kids There were studies done, and I believe, and I'm I'm doing this off the top of my head, I hate doing it that way because I like to get everything exactly right, but there was an article that had made the point, and again, don't hold me to it, we need to dig back into some of my articles, but that living under the poverty line creates the equivalent of uh, chopping someone's IQ down by 13 percentage points. That's huge. That's huge, the stress of poverty. And how many kids get involved in criminal activity because they don't have any entry-level jobs to go to? How many kids get involved with with crime because their parents are struggling and they're desperate to help their parents out? I know of one guy that was caught up in a drug operation um, involving a DEA case, and he became... Involved with the narcotics trade because his mother was in the hospital, I believe, battling cancer. This was 20-odd years ago. It was awful. It was awful. People who are living under poverty conditions with incredible stresses do very dumb things sometimes. And I'm not playing social worker and saying, well, it's acceptable because it's not acceptable. Bad judgment. Bad judgment. But the point of the matter is that when you put people under extreme conditions, sometimes the results can be extreme. And a, and a cautionary point, and I just made this point when I spoke before a group in New Jersey. It's easy to vilify illegal aliens, people who come here because they don't have the wherewithal to feed their children. And it's hard, or perhaps impossible, to tell if that illegal alien who ran the border is simply desperate for a job or is fleeing the long arm of the law. I've arrested plenty of people who outwardly appeared to be nothing more than, than people working illegally, and then you did digging and found out that they had criminal histories in the United States or perhaps in their home country, which is what propelled them across our border illegally, because they knew their fingerprints might show up. But you have a significant number of illegal aliens who are here out of desperation. They've left their families and their children behind, because, frankly, they can't feed their kids. Now, maybe they shouldn't have eight children, and I know there are some people that will be upset when I say that. You have large families in third-world countries where these folks can't sustain their families, can't feed their children. And so they are in, their, their, their trip to the United States in violation of law is incentivized by their situation of poverty. And these are people who should probably be able to make a living and a decent living within their home country. The reason they can't look at a place like Mexico is because Mexico uses the United States as an economic safety valve. If Mexico had to cope with all of their citizens, because at least 10% of Mexico is believed to be currently living in the United States, if they were back home, the pressure on the Mexican government and the Mexican oligarchy would be so severe that the oligarchy would have to give up at least a little bit of their holdings. Guess it's only a tiny percentage of Mexicans that control the majority of the vast wealth that Mexico has. And Mexico is a wealthy country. Make no mistake about it. They they are a corrupt country. They conduct themselves not unlike a banana republic, but their economy is either the 16th or, largest, or 17th largest economy in the world. As of a year or two ago, I don't suspect that those statistics have changed much. So how in the world do you wind up with a country with such a significant economy, with such industrious, hard working people, and yet the average Mexican can't seem to catch a break, and the only hope they have is to come to America in violation of law and be exploited. The exploitation of those Mexican workers in the United States is immoral and outrageous, but it also leads to exploitation of Americans who are now competing with Mexicans and what Mexicans are willing to settle for because. Now that's become the new norm. And we're seeing the same thing in the computer industry with computer programmers predominantly from India. So the government comes along and there's an effort to, to, you know, make things sort of fair. They said, well, the only time that an employer doesn't have to check to see if hiring a computer programmer, for example, would hurt the American workers is if they are being paid over 60000 a year. That number is ridiculous. You have American computer programmers and engineers and scientists with advanced degrees, with decades of experience, who should be earning a multiple of that number. But now what is happening is $60,000 is becoming, all too often, the standard wage. Not minimum wage, but a standard wage. So that expectations are being reduced because, as Alan Greenspan put it, we're paying a wage premium to American highly skilled workers because they're not being subjected to foreign competition. And he said, if we could make those Americans compete with foreign workers, we could clip that wage premium and greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. And that's what sanctuary cities are doing. They're enabling the country, the United States, to be flooded predominantly at the bottom rung there with foreign labor that drives down the wages of everybody, especially those people at the bottom rung of the economy. How in the world does that help America? How does that create the American dream, especially for Americans living at the poverty line? What does it do to their children? Sanctuary cities are insane. It's a knife in the back of Americans. It's also a knife in the back of lawful immigrants. Because people now have been told for decades, going back to Jimmy Carter, that there's really no distinction to be drawn between the alien who waits several years or more in his or her country before coming here and pay legal fees and do everything that the law requires and those aliens who run the border. Immigrants are immigrants are immigrants. The people that run the border simply lack a piece of paper, so we call them undocumented. Damage this does to the lawful immigrants. Who does everything right, but nevertheless finds people looking askance at him. Because why? Because people have come to believe that all immigrants are equal. Whether you come legally or illegally, doesn't matter. You're an immigrant. And people are angry. They're angry. They're angry when they read cases like this one in the newspapers about this guy who's been alleged, who's alleged to have fondled a little 15 year old girl. There was another case just a couple of days ago about some illegal alien who raped a a two-year-old. A two-year-old. Now, of course, Americans commit the same crimes, but the headline bleeps out, blares out there, this guy was an illegal alien prior to deportee. And people say, wait a minute, what's the government doing? How is law enforcement functioning? How do we have a stomach and a tolerance for this? And now there's something else you need to consider. The Middle East is getting hot again. President Trump, in my judgment, for whatever it's worth, took the appropriate action by launching those cruise missiles at that airport in Syria after that apparent chemical weapon attack that killed and injured so many children. I'll be honest with you. I find it difficult to look at the video feed of those people who are suffering from that attack. It, it's reprehensible. It's vile. There's no words in the English language. There's no words in the English language that can describe the revulsion you feel when you look at something that this was done intentionally. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a building fire. This was somebody, some evil piece of whatever, some evil turd made a decision that we're going to use horrific chemical weapons against the civilian population, including children. And so we did what we did. Now Russia's moving into the area with their warships. We know that Hezbollah. Uh, is on the ground over there. Um, and by the way, Hezbollah and Hamas exist in Latin America. I want you to stop and think about that. The tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay, is home to terror training camps of Hezbollah, Hamas, probably al-Qaeda and ISIS. We know that Venezuela is the destination for routine trips of Iranian shock troops, the so-called Quds. We also know that Venezuela and other Latin American countries have a propensity to issue fake passports to people who aren't even citizens of their country. So what happens when men from the Middle East, perhaps commandos, Quds forces, members of Hezbollah, Hamas, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, come to Latin America and they live there for two or three years so, they really get the language down and they really have an understanding of, of the country, and then they run the border. Again, why do we need to secure that border? Think of that image. Think of that image of Middle Eastern men and women coming to Latin America, living in Latin America for two or three, four years until they get their language down to an acceptable level, get fake ID from some corrupt government official, run the border and go to the cities around the United States and wait for that phone call, wait for that tap on the shoulder. That's how sleepers operate, folks. This isn't conjecture. Read the 9-11 Commission report. Go to my website. Go to michaelcutler.net, capsweb.org, front page magazine, the social, read the material that's out there. This is about American lives. It was just another attack in Stockholm, Sweden this morning. The weapon of choice, not an airplane. Think of all that we go through at the airports. Once again, a motor vehicle. It was a beer truck that was apparently hijacked, and it was used as a battering ram to ram into a high-end store at the peak shopping hour in Stockholm, killing several people and injuring others. We know that the terrorists want to attack the United States. We're increasing the incentive for that attack by acting in the Middle East, but we can't not act because those same chemical weapons that were used in Syria could be brought to the United States and used here, God forbid. We've seen gas attacks all over the world, Asia, Europe. It's a fact of life. That's why the border has to be secure. This isn't xenophobia. I listened to Senator Menendez, the wall of hate. The wall of hate? Think about it. We are at risk. Terrorists want to come to America and have already come to America repeatedly and killed innocent people. And yet, when Donald Trump or any politician dare stands up and says, we need to secure the border, oh my God, you're a hate monger. No, it's not a hate monger, folks. It's called self-defense. It's called self-defense. How any politician who can purport to represent his or her constituents could be opposed to doing whatever it takes. And people say, well, that border wall is too damn expensive. Ask the family members of 9-11 what should have been spent to prevent 9-11. Ask the victims of San Bernardino or the Boston bombing or the other attacks that we've seen. We're at war. We spend billions of dollars a year on smart weaponry. Why? Well, because smart weaponry minimizes the potential for civilian non-combatant casualties, so-called collateral damage. I've written about this. Why is it that the United States spends all that money, and I think it's moral and right, by the way, we spend all that money on smart weaponry to minimize, absolutely minimize, civilian casualties, but you have politicians unwilling to minimize civilian casualties, across the United States on town, in towns and cities. You have Mayor de Blasio saying that it's wrong that the New York City Police Department has not cooperated with the Housing Authority to provide information about criminals and drug dealers and gang members living in public housing because once they have that information, they can evict them. And in fact, Mayor de Blasio went a step further. He said, we can evict them, but the process takes too long. It takes months. It should only take weeks. We need to get the criminals out of public housing. And you know what? I agree with Mayor Blasio. Absolutely, I agree with him. Nobody should be in housing with criminals who pose a threat to them or their children. Get them the hell out of public housing. I agree. But then comes the disconnect. But New York is a sanctuary city that makes it impossible or very difficult for ICE agents to get the criminal aliens off the street. I wonder how many of those criminals that Mr. de Blasio wants to keep out of public housing might, in fact, be illegal aliens who could be kept out of the United States altogether. Think about that. How many of the criminals, gang members, and drug dealers that have criminal histories and are to be removed from public housing could be removed from the United States of America? So is it simply a matter of getting them out of the hallways of public housing? but they can ply their trades of death and destruction on the city streets? Does that make any sense to anybody? Mayor de Blasio wants to shut the jails, specifically Riker's Island. Riker's right? Island's a tough jail. I've been there. I've been to most of the jails, interviewing people, uh, cultivating informants, getting intelligence, processing people for deportation. But if you want to do that, if you want to close down a jail, then you have to shrink the jail population. Guess what? Deportation of criminal aliens could greatly shrink the criminal alien population in New York City. Why isn't Mayor de Blasio going to immigration and saying, we want to work with you to get rid of the criminals? This, you would think, is common sense. You would think. How many of those people in public housing who are to be kept out of housing because of criminal histories could be deported from the United States altogether? Then why wouldn't you want to do that? Is it okay to kill people on the street, just don't kill them in the buildings? I I mean, this doesn't make sense. Chuck Schumer says that trespassing is dangerous. He wants to make it a five-year felony when it's committed against critical infrastructure and national landmarks. Okay, maybe he's on to something. Because in New York, the penalties aren't that great. But Then he says when you trespass on America as an illegal alien, you've earned citizenship. It makes no sense. You see, you 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 try to put these words together and say, well, how does this coincide? How is this consistent? How is this rational? It's not rational. It's completely irrational. And there's a final point that I, I want you to think about. Certainly, it's an, you would think ha, lots of luck trying to think when you deal with politicians. You would think it's a no-brainer to deport criminal aliens, but apparently that's too difficult. The concept, but. Immigration efforts should not only be focused on people with known criminal histories. And there's a reason. Because terrorists, just like spies, tend to try to hide in plain sight by not getting arrested, by not calling attention to themselves. You know, when you go to the movies, you see James Bond, and he's driving around in an Aston Martin, and he's wearing a $10,000 suit, and he's got this unbelievable gold watch on his wrist. That's more than likely not a spy's way of getting dressed. I mean, it might be depending on assignment and circumstances, but usually a spy is somebody who wears drab, nondescript clothing. Go watch Bridge of Spies. If you haven't seen it on HBO with Tom Hanks, good movie. And by the way, notice that the Russian spy was initially arrested for what law violations, immigration law violations. In fact, it was just a Russian spy, pardon me, deported recently. Um, The FBI does the work on the espionage. The task of deportation falls to immigration. But these are folks who hide in plain sight by being nondescript. You know, they're not wearing flashy clothing. They're wearing dull, nondescript clothing. Maybe sweats, maybe jeans, uh, maybe, you know, a gray suit. Nothing that's going to call anyone's attention to them. And without a scorecard, again, we know who the bad guys are. So the trick is, focus on the bad guys. But if you find other aliens who are illegally present in the United States, they need to be made to go. Why? Because if we're not willing to deport people who violate our borders and violate our immigration laws, then you encourage more illegal immigration. And you've now told the spies and terrorists that if they come to America, they can run the border, they can do what they want, but as long as they don't get convicted of felonies, immigration won't be a factor. That's dangerous. That aids terrorists and bad guys in their process of embedding themselves so that they can carry out crimes and terror attacks in the United States. Either we agree that our immigration laws are significant or they're not. If we agree they're significant, then the laws must be enforced from within the interior. If you believe our immigration laws are not significant, And I'd like to see advocates for sanctuary cities, whether it's Senator Schumer, whether it's Mayor de Blasio or Rahm Emanuel or Garcetti in California, and let them stand there at a news conference and tell the American people and tell their constituents that they think that they believe that the U.S. Border Patrol should be disbanded, that they believe that we should stop doing inspections of international passengers arriving from airports all over the world uh, when they come to the airport. Because you're not less illegal by getting away from the border, you're not less illegal when you get away from the airport through which you entered the United States and then went on to violate the terms of your admission. Right now, before uh, the hiring effort that the administration wants to uh, wants to achieve, right now we have over sixty thousand people working at Customs and Border Protection. Last year, over fourteen billion dollars went to that agency, and. Mayors out there and senators and governors truly believe in this notion of sanctuary for illegal aliens, then they should be advocates for dismantling the border patrol and ending inspections at international airports and other ports of entry. You can't have it both ways. If you believe it makes sense to have a border patrol to prevent unlawful entry, if you believe it makes sense, and it also is a requirement of law, to conduct inspections of passengers and cargo arriving from other countries, then you have to understand that the immigration laws must be enforced. If you believe that they should not be enforced, and if you're consistent, then they need to have the courage of their conviction to stand up and say, you know what, let's get rid of the Border Patrol and let's stop inspecting passengers and cargo when they come here from the rest of the world. Falls in their court. Let them really stake out their position. Uh, Let's corner them. What do you believe in? Do you believe that it's okay to come to America without being inspected, to not let anybody know that you're here? Do you believe it's okay to tell the Border Patrol to go home and basically declare America a borderless state? And if we're stupid enough to do that, how do you protect America against invasion? Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution. When we hear about constitutionality and our immigration laws, folks, that's where the focus then needs to turn. Article 4, Section 4, the guarantee that the states will be protected from invasion and domestic violence by the federal government. And that, folks, is why we have borders. That is why we have immigration agents. Something for you to think about. As always, I want to thank you for, for joining me this evening. For spending this uh, hour with me. It's good visiting with you. But I really hope you will get involved. I hope that as campaigns start to ramp up, November will be the election of mayors and governors all over the United States. And we need to make our voices heard. We need to get involved in these campaigns. And remember, you can make campaign contributions to politicians anywhere in the United States. And if you believe, as I do, that sanctuary cities are anything but sanctuaries for law-abiding Americans, then I would urge you to support those candidates who are taking strong positions against those so-called sanctuaries. That's the work Americans must do. It's the work you can do, and it's uh, consistent with what I always like to tell folks. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Hope you had a uh, great week. Hope you have a wonderful weekend coming up. And I look forward to seeing you again next week, next time, right here, as always, on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody.